Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that 98% of kids with autism have a mutation in their MTHFR gene. Those with mutations have autism at a rate 1.7 times greater than the normal population. Now, that's not to say that this is something that causes autism, but maybe it's part of the incredibly complex puzzle. The interesting thing is that a lot of people who don't have autism, including yours truly, have this mutation as well. In fact, somewhere around a third of people, depending on which mutations we're talking about, can have this. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. So today's guest is going to talk about this specific mutation, how to tell if you might have it, how to test for it, and what the implications are for human health, not just around autism, but around everything. This new kind of science around what do your genes do and what do they do in response to environmental inputs, including nutritional supplements, including nutrients that are actually just in food that naturally occur or medication or even things like sleep and exercise levels. The environmental inputs are as important as the genes you have. 
But understanding the genes maybe lets you hack your environment so that you can live in a world that's more suited to your specific strengths and one that doesn't make you weak. Certainly learning some of these tricks from my, my own use has been a major part of biohacking. So it's been tough to find people like Dr. Ben Lynch, today's guest, who are really well-equipped to talk about this. And as a sign of how well-equipped Ben is to talk about this, when his camera zooms out, you're going to see that he has methylation pathways on a poster on the wall behind him. And I actually have poster envy right now. So ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Dave. Well, I've got uh, old biohacking equipment envy and five-year-old brain envy from uh, your <laughs> previous story. So, hey. If you're watching on video on iTunes, uh, instead of just listening in your car, behind me there's a blinking light. And what, what that is is part of an old bar game that tests your memory, probably from around the early 1980s. So it's a very old video game, but it's one that just tests your ability to remember a string of colors. And my five-year-old Alan has just about doubled my top score. And in fact, it's kind of amazing what he can do. He just sits there and remembers these long, long strings of blinking lights that are in incredible. So it's one of the few video games he actually gets to play, but man, he begs for it every day. Nice. And so Ben, you are one of the top MTHFR guys. You're a doctor of naturopathic medicine and you run, uh, or at least you're a chief medical officer of seekinghealth.com. Uh, which really are looking at are things that help you look at toxins and how they affect your brain, how they affect your body, and even like what we've done to the environment. So this this is just an incredible opportunity for people listening to learn about stuff that you just doesn't get talked about. But I want to know how did you get into this stuff? Like this is about as kind of esoteric and unusual for a naturopath or a a, a Western physician, either either type of medicine, uh, to get into. Like, like how did this happen? Well, it happened, I think it's always been a, a passion of mine to identify the root causes of illness, you know, just like you, you know, trying to find and pinpoint the most effective things you can in order to promote health and prevent disease. And so when somebody asked me about bipolar disease and I was just rattling off our usual things that we do in holistic medicine to improve this condition, I said, you know, I'm kind of stale on my research and I'll just check it out. So I typed in bipolar and I knew I had to do something with folate. So I typed in bipolar folic acid because back then I didn't know that folate was uh, the appropriate term. So I typed in folic acid and up, one of the first papers that popped up was something about MTHFR. And I didn't know what the heck that was. So I typed that back into PubMed and out came this laundry list of main headings in PubMed talking about cardiovascular risk, cancers, autism, infertility, uh, you know, preeclampsias, depression, bipolar, anxiety. I was like, oh my God. And that's and that's in the title of every PubMed paper talking about MTHFR on the first page. So I said, okay, why haven't I heard about this? And so I just started digging more and more and more about it. And then uh, I just, I discovered that it's so central to my biochemistry. And if I turn this off now, I don't see, if, I don't know, can you see my nerdy little calendar here, happy planner over here? <laughs> that that was a fast transition for people not watching the video. That's uh, right. We're, we're talking about uh, that, that poster on his wall, and his camera finally zoomed out for us to show us this giant, incredibly complex uh, interlocking set of circles that shows what we know today about how our body detoxes and processes certain things. Uh, so it, it's it's remarkable science there, uh, kind of a, hard to follow if you're not seeing the camera. And 
so you were saying that you, you really were like, okay, bipolar, what's the deal? And you, you found an unusual study, and then you dug deeper. And, and what did you find when you read some of the papers on MTHFR? Well, the first thing that hit me was, was MTHFR kind of, well, <laughs> big time affects our ability to metabolize that conventional nutrient that we find in our processed foods, and which is folic acid. So folic acid for the general person isn't that great by any means, but it's still useful. I mean, it, it has it has reduced neural tube defects. It has reduced certain conditions and, and so on. And, and But at the same time, those with MTGFR or other interruptions in the folate pathway cannot metabolize that folic acid very well. And so we're left with this nutrient of folic acid that should be helping the general public, but it's actually not as well as it could be because the actual type of folate that our body uses it has to be converted into methylfolate. And so folic acid is, is way, way up here. It's basically if you're building your house and you just have a foundation laid and that's all you've got, but you need to have the roof and the windows and everything else, and you have to get all those steps done. And the very bottom step, you know, you got your furniture in your house, and that's MTHFR producing this end product of methylfolate. And if that's not working very well, then the body's number one form of folate is not in the amount it needs to be in your blood. And it's actually quite low. And the downstream effect of that is very, very significant. I mean, we're talking neurotransmission, cancer prevention, uh, you know, energy, and so on. I mean, it's, it's, it's really significant. So if you're listening to this right now, and you go to your vitamin cabinet, and it's amazing how many houses you go to that have a vitamin cabinet, in fact, more of them do than don't these days. Uh, in my experience, this is where you keep the one, two, in my case, way more than one <laughs> bottles of supplements that you use sometimes or every day. And turn anything that has a B complex label on it or anything that's a multivitamin, just turn it over and look and see if it says folic acid. And the odds are that it says folic acid or even worse, it says folate in parentheses folic acid, which is a slight mislabeling. And what this means is that the manufacturer, and I say this as a guy who helps to formulate supplements. The manufacturer made an economic decision to use a much less expensive form of this B vitamin that unfortunately has negative effects on some of us, and we don't know who, unless you've done unusual testing, uh, or if it actually says 5-MTHFR, or if it says folinic acid, or it says folate, and they don't tell you, you're actually getting a vitamin from a supplement manufacturer was paying attention to the core science versus the economics. And, and this is something that actually kind of pisses me off because there's laws about putting folic acid in bread. But why folic acid when for some people it's harmful and other people it's beneficial? Like, shouldn't we put nothing in that's harmful to some people? Uh, so that those things are just sound kind of small, but you're saying neurotransmission, cancer. What are the other effects that we're talking about there? Well, energy. I mean, uh, you've got your, your coffee and your oil, right, for energy. And I utilize methylfolate and B12s as my energy. And I'm caffeine-free. I do munch on your coffee beans at times. I, I'm <laughs> guilty of that. But I, I think oh, in weight loss, I mean, diabetes, there's, there's a lot of look right now, uh, research right now in terms of methylation and diabetes and how that gets inhibited. And there's a metabolic shift that happens. And 
that shift goes from aerobic to kind of more anaerobic. And so the glucose is just kind of butting against the cell membrane. It's not getting in and thereby causing diabetes. So I don't want to get too scientific on you guys, but the, the bottom line is it's, it's how you think. It's how you uh, reproduce. Oh, yeah. What you produce at the end of that is it a healthy child that can, you know, kick my ass in, in that memory game behind Dave, or is it, or is it your inability to reproduce because you're infertile, or living a long, healthy life because you know you're you're cancer free and your joints are mobile and you've got energy and you feel good and you can think well. So just the core basics of life revolve around this gene and this gene defect, and the majority of us have it. And oh, the majority of people have the, the gene defect. Majority of us have it. Yes. I thought it was. Oh, you're talking about um, a hetero, not homo. Hetero, correct. I, Okay. So one form, but explain what the hetero and homo is for people who are listening and aren't geneticists. Yeah. So when you talk about genetic issues, and this is not a this is not a mutation where you know I don't have my right arm. Okay. The gene still works. They just work at a at a less efficient ability. So imagine a wheelbarrow with one handle on it versus two. You know, kind of hard to drive. So if you've got the MTHFR genetic defect, which limits your ability to convert, basically to simplify things, folic acid into the body's number one form of folate, which is methylfolate, you have a reduced capacity if you have one bad copy, which is heterozygous, and you get two copies. You get one copy from your mom, one copy from your dad, and they reproduce, and you get one of each. And then, um, say, your mom gives you the good MTHFR gene, and then your dad gives you the bad one, then you're heterozygous. If they both have it, and you both, if you get the bad one of each, now you're homozygous. So hetero meaning one, homo meaning two in this situation. But if you have one of these genetic defects, the, uh, the polymorphism is the scientific term, but I'll say defect because it's easier, then you have a 30% reduced capacity to produce methylfolate. Okay. That doesn't mean that you have a 30% capacity to utilize methylfolate. It means you have a 30% ability to produce it. So that means if you're taking folic acid and you're not eating your, your leafy greens, you might be in trouble, especially if you have MTHFR. Now, if you have two copies and you're homozygous, now you're talking about a 70 or 80% reduced capacity to produce methylfolate. So that means you've got some serious issues if you're not eating your leafy greens. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all in trouble if you're eating your leafy greens, but our, our foods, you know, now they're sprayed with crap on them, right? And they're <laughs> genetically modified. They're transferred um, thousands of miles on planes and in boxes. They're picked early. The soils are depleted. So and the fertilizers have a high nitrate level, and that's causing issues too. So there's a whole bunch of things that's not just about leafy greens. It's, you have to look more into that now, but fortunately. But my point is... A lot of us have some sort of MTHFR defect. It's very central to our biochemistry. And if you have blood clots in your family or any, any type of mental disorders, you know, I was really, really sad to hear about Robin Williams and yeah. uh, his suicide. And that, that really pained me because the guy was a real talent. And, it, and he was an addict, right? I mean, he was an alcoholic. And he, he blatantly said that multiple times. And he was trying to seek help. And he, he probably was off and on the wagon multiple times, right? And so if you have somebody who is a, uh, an addict, the first thing I thought was, well, you know, his dopamine levels are too low. 
I wonder if this guy's got MTHFR or any other type of genetic polymorphism that's affecting his biochemistry. And if, if he went to a good physician, they may have turned him around, removed his alcoholism completely. You know, therapy isn't very useful if there's a biochemical block. Uh, if you look at, at some of the media reports, it looks like he might have been on a, on a vegan diet or an extreme low-fat mm. uh, kind of diet. There's various reports on that. But he had made changes about three years ago that for people with depression would probably make it worse, not right. better. And if he right. had the genetic defect you're talking about, and this is totally speculation, neither you nor I know, what would have happened? So he's eating more leafy greens that are high in folic acid but not methylfolate. What would that do to someone with depression or bipolar i have no idea what robin williams had and we don't right. know we don't know lots of stuff about this so this isn't right. to say there's causative but as as a current event example you've got a guy increased his folic acid intake from leafy greens um who let's say has a mutation and is prone to depression or other psychiatric things what is the likely set of steps that could happen there well before i get into that i, I wanted to find something uh, that's really important because I don't want people to get scared of leafy greens. No, no, me yeah. either. Um, so folic acid is not found in natural foods. So if they're processed or man-made or people-made to be politically correct, then these natural foods contain multiple forms of reduced folates. Reduced folates meaning the body can readily use them. But, 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 but not, not methylfolate, right? Methylfolate is in less amounts in these yeah. things. There's more dihydrofolates and tetrahydrofolates, which is absolutely correct. I don't know how much methylfolate is in foods, if even any, but... But, but it's, it's, not, it's not chemical folic acid, the synthetic right. supplement that they're using. That's right. Okay. So, but looking at, at uh, a vegan diet or vegetarian diet and say that, you know, Robin Williams was, was trying to improve his health by going this route... There, the body is amazing that has multiple backup systems. So if you have an MTHFR defect, then the body says, you know, look, if you can't, if you're not getting your reduced folates, I'm just going to utilize your protein and use something that comes from meat. And I'm going to take this choline and I'm going to recycle homocysteine back into methionine into your SAME, which is your main methyl donor. So my point is here is if, if, a, a vegan or a vegetarian, they many times are carbitarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Point one. So because they, they don't eat their veggies. And if they do, they're there might be processed or, or what we already talked about. And the other thing is these foods don't have adequate B12. And if you even if you eat all the leafy greens that you want, I know a lot of people talk about B12 that's made by bacteria in your gut and so on, but that, that B12 and bacteria in your gut, that's not utilized by our bodies. It's utilized by the bacteria. So it Oops. doesn't affect our met metabolism. Okay, So B12 and bacteria, that's, it's not uh, relevant for our biochemistry. But so over time, men don't you know, have menstrual cycles, so we don't get anemic and so on. But I mean... If you're an alcoholic or you're drinking alcohol, you need high levels of B12, big time, and you need high levels of methylfolate. So if Robin was, was drinking and he was a vegetarian and he was not eating meat, to be redundant, I guess, uh, <laughs> his methylation was severely hampered. So now he's, his, his ability to produce uh, neurotransmitters and also to eliminate neurotransmitters 
is gone down the tubes. And also his ability to turn on and off genes has gone down. So and I believe he started getting some form of Parkinson's too, right? I, I'm not, uh, certainly not, yeah. not an expert on all the things that are going on with them. Yeah, so, but that, uh, that just kind of shows that <clears throat> uh, not only do we have a neurological disorder, but now we have a mitochondrial disorder and a neurological disorder. So it's, it's, it becomes multiple steps. So, so, I mean, I can go on and on with this, and I don't want to, but I, I just want to say that vegans and vegetarians, you know, while I, you know, congratulate and I, I understand the desire to do that, absolutely, because I was a vegetarian for a couple of years myself, but I didn't do well. And uh, yeah. now that I'm MTHFR, compound heterozygous, I have one copy of each. My ability to produce methylfolate is down by about 80%. It kind of makes sense why I didn't do so well with that. So I wasn't getting my B12, and I was exposed to Roundup on the ranch, and and uh, you know a lot of hard work and and uh, processed foods and and so on. So I, I think that we just have to keep in mind that strict lifestyle and diet. I know you're writing a diet book. You know these these diets are are uh, potentially dangerous. So except dates. Uh, well, I mean it, it it's possible. Mine's potentially dangerous, but I'll be damned if I could find out you know, the, the mechanism for that. And if so, I'll, I'll modify it with the next rev that comes out because that's what science does. But, uh, I was a raw vegan for a while. And, uh, I also started to, I, I had very definitive benefits. Most people do for the first three months because they get an upregulation actually of, of mitochondrial function from the surge of omega sixes, but it's short lived. They feel good. They think that this diet makes it feel good. Then they start to go down. I, I call it the vegan trap hmm. and it's, it's not, uh, it's not like a, a, a bad thing to be vegan for a short period of time, but if you do it for a long period of time, some of the biochemical pathways we're talking about are, uh, are become more and more important. And you've got guys out there who are, are complete ass kickers who are, are vegan. And I, I think if we looked at their genes, I would love to be like, oh, Rich Roll, you're you know, a, a god among men and, and you eat this like, complete diet that would, that would be worse than kryptonite for me. And what's the genetic difference between us? And, and we're, we're working on solving some of that. And I'm talking with a bunch of different companies today who are looking at getting your genetic sequencing from 23andMe or from another service and then crunching it and running it against thousands of different little data points we have to come up with, like, maybe you're more carb tolerant. Maybe, you know, you can have 100 grams and you can only have 30 grams. Maybe you're okay on folic acid, but we just don't even have the basic science done for probably 99% of those things. And it'll come over time. In the meantime, what you're doing is, is very much pioneering by looking at, at this one thing because it affects, you said the vast majority, you think what percentage of people have at least one of the, the two defects that they could have? Well, it depends on your ancestry. I mean, the Italians, Hispanics, Italians, Hispanics, um, my goodness, Chinese are very high rate. I'm talking 50% of the population have two copies of the MTHFR. So they're homozygous for that. So upwards of 50% of those ancestral groups are very, very prone to having MTHFR homozygous. So if, if that wasn't enough, or if gluten intolerance wasn't enough to get you to not eat like flour and grains, <laughs> if you're from one of those genetic ancestries, you said Hispanic, Chinese and Italian? Yes. Then the odds are, at least in the US, you're getting folic acid enriched flour when you eat wheat products that are likely 
genetically more likely anyway to cause problems with you. Yeah, and it's if if you go, you know, I I've only been to Mexico a couple times, and I was not in the in the rural, beautiful parts of Mexico. I was in Tijuana getting my teeth fixed, <laughs> <laughs> but they eat a lot of meat, right? Yeah. So it, it's interesting that they have this empty of our defect, and they eat a lot of meat, and you think, well, that's bad, but it it bypasses that empty of our defect but it only bypasses it in the liver and the kidney and kind of the testes and some other minor parts, whereas the empty Jafar uh, supports the cellular biochemistry in all cells. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to, the, the backup mechanism of eating protein and meat, uh, I should say meat, is supportive, but it's mainly supportive in the liver and the kidney. It's not supportive really in the brain or or elsewhere in the body. So, you know, these backup mechanisms are supportive, but they're not as supportive as, as taking methylfolate or methylcobalamin. So is this one of the reasons potentially, not the only reason, but a contributing reason that a, a basic paleo diet might work for some people because it's reducing their folic acid intake from grains I and mean, grains have all sorts of other problems they do, but I'd never thought of that as being a contributor, but it, could it be in, in your opinion? It could be. And I don't know what their carb load is on paleo. It, it depends on who you are. <laughs> yeah. There's been spread kind of thing. There's the eat carbs crowd, and then there's the, you know, if you're not in ketosis, you're a bad person crowd, mm-hmm. uh, and, and everything in between. Yeah, but original paleo, they, they talked about just kind of the perimeter of the store, right? Yeah, and it's so like zero, veggies and essentially veggies, a few nuts, but not too many because, you you know, you might get carbs from that. So it was very much a ketosis kind of diet. Yeah, and I, I think that the the amount of carbs i think is really important i mean i'm not a carb counter but i i personally do very well with more protein um i'm six foot five and about 210 pounds and uh but i i do a lot better with protein than i do carbs i haven't necessarily figured out why yet but i think uh, I'm, i'm steer me back dave what was your original question i was wondering about when it comes to a, a paleo diet, when you eliminate grains, you eliminate a bunch of stuff that also come in grains. So you have all of the uh, the immune system sensitizers, the problems with gluten itself. You eliminate right. the mycotoxin problem in grain, which is very well established and which levels are, are causing trouble for which people is also genetic. So a bunch of people who are having basically grain mold symptoms don't know it. They eliminate grains and magically they're better. But I'm also thinking there's a contributing factor from people who have folic acid problems. We dump folic acid, the chemical form in our grain, then you eat it and it builds up and basically gums up your mitochondrial and your, your methylation pathways. Right. I, I, I just don't know how big of a contributing factor that is compared to all these other things that come along with grain. Oh, and Roundup, which is also sprayed onto the grain to make it ripen on time. And glyphosate. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, glyphosate, Roundup, yeah. right. Right. So it's great point, and I, I think people need to also understand another – I hate folic acid. I don't use that four-letter word very often because it's very strong and very negative and very – just not a nice word. But folic acid qualifies, and it qualifies because not only does it have to – is it man-made and it has to go through multiple steps in order to be useful for your body, but – when you order a blood test from your doctor and it looks at serum folate or it looks at serum cobalamin or B12, it's garbage. It doesn't mean anything. That's outside your cell. All the action is happening inside your cell. 
So if you're looking at your serum folate and it's high, you're thinking, oh, that's good. But it's actually not because you don't know what type of folate it is. And especially what can happen is if you're consuming grains, like Dave was saying, or these processed grains or your vitamin drinks with enriched folic acid or your supplements with enriched folic acid or your granola energy bars because you're a runner and you want to have your energy bar after practice or so on and you get folic acid there too. So now you're upwards of a couple grams of folic acid a day. Folic acid binds to these receptors on the cell which are intended for the good folates, the useful folates, which get in there and actually do some work. Now, folic acid will bind to the receptor, sit there, and it will prevent the good folates from getting in and doing their thing. Okay, so that's bad. That's strike one. Strike two is folate has to be carried, has to be transported around. So you swallow your leafy greens, now it has to be carried and delivered to that receptor. Okay, so now we're backing up from the receptor, and now the folate has to be carried to it. Now, folic acid will bind to these little carrying proteins and block the good folates from binding to that. So not only can you not get the good folates binding to the receptor, they're not even or blocking the receptor from getting the good folates in, but you can't even get the good folates to that destination. So it's really bad, and it's especially bad in breastfeeding women because what happens uh, breast uh, nursing women, breastfeeding babies, excuse me. Um, <laughs> that sounded really weird. But anyway, so women who are breastfeeding, there's a high, high concentration of folate binding proteins in breast milk, which makes sense because these babies are growing at a high rate. Their methylation, which we haven't defined yet, but they're growing super fast. And they're, as you're growing, your methylation status uh, is heightened as we age methylation goes down unless you're exposed to chemicals and stressed out and so on but anyhow so these breast milk is high in these and if they're taking folic acid based uh, supplementation they're blocking these the ability to deliver the folate to the nursing child who then can't think or produce neurotransmitters or can't grow or, or methylate or whatever it needs to do so these we're stunting our, our future generation here with folic acid too, and there's papers after paper after on this. Thank you for bringing that bringing that to light. Uh, my wife and I co-authored the Better Baby book, and mm. it was a program, really comprehensive program. I looked at about 1,300 papers putting it together, and it's what we did to restore her fertility and have two healthy kids at age 39 and 41. And she's a Karen Leska trained physician, and there's a I believe a whole chapter in that book about the importance of getting the right form of folic acid. And this came out uh, probably three, three years, three plus years ago, but you know, we started the research for this in around 2004. So it was, uh, it, it was amazing to see all of these papers, but so few people talking about it. And even right. worse, pregnant women getting folic acid tablets from their trained physicians who've never had a class on methylation or folic acid and don't have any knowledge that they're actually doing something that is more likely than not to be harmful. Right. The cost in supplements is so, is, is so low. But also, do you know the effects of folic acid versus folate on sperm in men? Uh, have you looked into that? You know, I haven't. Uh, that's a great question, but I don't know. You know, I know carnitine is a super important yeah. one and uh, in sperm, but I I don't know. If memory serves, and, and I'm not citing a paper here because I just don't remember. It's been a little while since I did all that research. Uh, if memory serves, there is an effect from it in some people. And like, wow, I think it has to do with actually production of the sperm, not their, their motility. But 
it's just one of those things where it doesn't really have a business being in supplements. And when I'm the last guy to say we need more government regulation of supplements, which are the drug companies have been trying to take over that business for, for 20 years now. But this is one of those times where like, wait, this is well known to be bad for a huge number of people and there's no reason to be using it, yet we still do it. And, and that kind of research on what the next generation gets, both from what mom took even before conception, as well as right. during pregnancy and then during nursing. Like it's a simple upgrade to go from folic acid to a better form of folic acid and you're you don't need to get a blood test or anything weird to do it. No, no, you don't. And I, a lot of people ask me, should I test for MTHFR? And should I test for this genetic polymorphism? And I said, well, it depends on who you are and what type of doctor you're associating yourself with. And if you're not happy with your doctor, you fire him. I mean, you, you fire him. It's your right to choose here. And you, you, <laughs> no, you, really... you are a licensed physician, just so we're clear on this. Yeah, I am. Right. And, uh, you know, right there is, is my diploma. And I, you know, I don't have my license, you know, from the state of Washington, but I think it's my wallet. But anyway, yes, I'm a licensed physician. And, if you, and when I was working with patients and I'm, I'm a hard ass and I, I demand people be compliant. And I demand a full disclosure of your history. You don't hide things from me. And that built, you know, you got to build trust and rapport. And, you know, you don't give me the doorknob diagnosis of your chief complaint. You know, the doorknob, you know, thing is like, oh, by the way, I have HIV. Or, you know, oh, by the way, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I was born with two heads initially. It, it, you, you've got to be absolutely clear with your physician. It's a team environment. And if you're, if you're not feeling that collaboration or your doctor isn't giving you the time of day, they're just shuttling you in and out, you got to fire them. you got to move on. And if you're bringing the research and you're doing all the homework for your doctor, you got to move on. So, and my point here is, is, is your health is, is super important. You live once, maybe, maybe more, more than once, who knows. <laughs> but I, I think you, you got to take charge in your health. And when I, when I was working with people, um, I put them through this, and I do consult still with for some people, um, rarely, but but I do. And anyway, I tangent, I tangentized. That's a word I made up. Tangentized uh, again. Um, <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Uh, it, it's funny. I spent most of my career in Silicon Valley working for companies uh, founded by Indians, and it, it's very common uh, in uh, when someone learns English in India that they'll basically verb their nouns. So anytime you want to verb a noun, I'm totally comfortable with that. Although all the grammar police listening right now are probably okay. like, like, I understand. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's actually kind of cool. I do it with my kids a lot because it really makes you think like, oh, wait, language can do that. Uh, so, you know, they're I tangentized. But what we're talking about there about like you actually said fire your physician. And it's funny because at the very start of really a lot of my path, something was going wrong. And I went to the doctors about 15 or so years ago, uh, Palo Alto Medical Foundation. And I said, something's wrong. And he kind of gave me some rigmarole and uh, maybe it's your blood sugar. And so I started pricking my fingers. No, no, it's really it's not my blood sugar. I have holes in all my fingers, but I have the data. Like, really? And when I told him vitamin C would help me, uh, and I actually felt better when I took it. And now I understand that was from a glutathione increase, most likely. But he, uh, he basically said, stop, it'll kill you. And I said, what about Linus Pauling? And he said, Linus who? Now, if you're listening and you don't know Linus Pauling, is that's okay because you're not a doctor. But Linus Pauling had two Nobel Prizes. <laughs> uh, and he took 90 grams of vitamin C a day and, and was one of the leading researchers on what it does. So this doctor told me three grams would kill me. And when he didn't know who Linus Pauling was, I said those words, you're fired. 
And I walked out of his office and I didn't pay him. They just spent like three years trying to collect it. I'm like, no, services weren't rendered. Services weren't rendered. Yeah, good point. And so that said, I've run the Silicon Valley Health Institute, an anti-aging public education nonprofit group for a decade. The last thing you want to do is go to your doctor and be hostile, but you want to be listening. And if you bring data and you bring your own tests, your own genes, whatever, say, I want to look at this and you're not being heard, that is the time to basically insist on being heard. And if you're not getting heard, then it's time to find someone who's going to listen because you're paying them to listen and you're paying them to diagnose and to to help you be your partner in, in getting well. And it's it's amazing if you come in hostile, like a, a good physician, all the guys I respect, if you come in hostile, they're going to give you a little while to, to, to show they're trustworthy. After that, they're going to give you this, the middle finger. They're going to fire you as a patient. And I respect doctors who do that greatly. Sorry, I can't help you. So you got to come in looking for a partnership. And if you don't get one, then you got a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and being a physician is not easy. I mean, your main job, I mean, doctor, it comes from the root docere. And docere means to teach. And our job is to teach patients, people, how to live. And we don't do that anymore. You know, we inspect and poke and prod and scan and and snip and cut and that's and we shut them out the door or send them out the door and we we don't we don't educate anymore that old style of medicine is 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 basically it's coming back because of the flood of the internet dr google is you know number one doc i think he dr google's on the top of all the uh, best doctor books now but it's you got to be careful with that dr google too but i i, I think that i tangentized again <laughs> um, but it, it's the rapport is super important. We we're, we were talking about a genetic mutation here, MTHFR. But the point of firing your doctor is important because a lot of doctors are going to the old saying of poo pooing this. They're saying it's insignificant. I cannot tell you how many people have recurrent miscarriages or their pulmonary thrombosis or they're throwing clots, recurring clots all the time, or they're looking at their whole line of their family dying of early heart attacks. And they're thinking, what the hell? And they find the MTHFR and they've got a significant SNP. You know, they're the, they're the homozygous 6774 and the doctor dismisses it. And you can't dismiss that. It's important. Research is loaded with facts. And so my point is, if you go in, and this all started about who should test for MTHFR or who shouldn't. And it, basically, if, if that doctor dismisses the fact that you want to test for MTHFR or you've brought in the test result for MTHFR and they're dismissing it as important, it's bye-bye. But if they are willing to learn and become educated in it, then they're a goldmine and you stay there with them. And no doctor knows everything uh, and they never will. If they say they do, (laughs) you get out of there. (laughs) But who should order the MTHFR test is, are those people who want to know for sure and who are undergoing significant treatments in the hospital. So if you are have, if you're using things like methotrexate, for example, you're undergoing cancer treatments, or you have autoimmune disorder and you're you're taking methotrexate or any of these folate antagonistic drugs, then you need to scan. You need to test for MTHFR and show them because you're going to respond more poorly to these meds because they're too strong for you. So then you need to have that documented. Now if you're if you're in kind of general, you know, pretty good health and you don't not really working with a doctor, then you know you can just switch out and get rid of your folic acid and start staking good 
supplementation with methylfolate and your methylcobalamins, your adenosylcobalamins, and so on, and clean up your diet and lifestyle and listen to Dave's podcast <laughs> and, uh, you know, take his oil and drink his coffee sometimes. I have a really good research, though, to support your coffee um, about adenosine levels, but that, that's another point. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, that, that's when you order the test. But treating yourself empirically, I mean, coming from a doctor, and I could get sued probably for this, but, you know, just taking good care of yourself and doing the absolute basics, sleeping, you know, exercising, breathing, uh, good social interaction with your friends and your loved ones, avoiding the stresses and so on. You know, and, and taking the good supplementation and being aware that even if you don't have MTHFR, folic acid is bad. Remember, because it binds your receptors and it blocks your folate, um, your your body's ability to carry folate. So folic acid is bad for everyone, whether you have MTHFR or not. It's it's really is. And I have tons and tons of research on that, and I back it up. And there's a lot of MDs and center docs who come to my clinics or my my conferences. And they learn and they, they are applying it in their clinic as we speak worldwide now. And it's great. And so there are doctors out there that are willing to learn. And Dave, what do you call a medical student who graduates from the bottom of their class? This is my favorite joke of all time. So I'm going to answer it. And, okay. and all right, you call them doctor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is uh, maybe... A more negative use of that joke, but it's it's kind of like if, if your goal is to is to get to a certain level, you don't have to overachieve to get to that level, as long as you're getting the other things you want. And so I applied that in, in actually in business school. Like I I wasn't anywhere near equipped to be you know the top of my class compared to some of my brilliant classmates. Um, but I was like, oh, there's a couple classes like where you're totally allowed to basically completely fail them and still graduate, like this is great. I'll pick which classes I'm going to fail right now because I'll spend all that time getting to know uh, these amazing people better and I just get more of what I want. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but the idea there is, look, you, you graduated or you didn't. And so your point there about, about doctors, there are all sorts of different levels of patient interaction, different levels of education, and also different levels of just like staying current on research. And I know there's, there's more than a few doctors who listen to this podcast and I intentionally bring on guys like you who are doing cutting edge stuff, not so that every doctor out there can learn your level of knowledge, but at least if we're all aware of these things that they may matter, it's easy enough even for physicians to talk to their, you know, their, their break time buddy, who's also Dr. Google, you know, I have these three patients who aren't getting better and I've seen them four times and like that, you know, they put two and two together and then suddenly they're able to help more people or maybe those people come in already asking because they heard this. And, and that's kind of the vision for bringing out something like this that is not common knowledge, but it's affecting a ton of people, maybe a lot, maybe a little. We just, we don't know. Um, I, I did this test about, I want to say about five, six years ago. Uh, I did the Amy Yasko full profile. Amy Yasko is one of the first researchers who looked at autism and uh, methylation pathways. And uh, so that test was quite expensive. It took a long time, came with DVDs full of data, uh, not all of which I've looked at for sure. Uh, but I did read her book. And more recently, uh, and this is how when a client, uh, a coaching client who's having performance issues, if they're interested in this stuff, I will say, look, you can go to 23andMe, you can get a $99 genetic profile, and you can go to basically a website like Genetic Genie. And Genetic Genie takes a donation, and then they crunch your genome, 
and then show you your methylation pathway. And it's free, but it's nice to give the guys 20 bucks for the work they did putting the site together. And then it takes you about two days of annoyingly clicking on different SNPs to try and understand all the data. <laughs> That's the hard part. But yeah. you can learn amazing things. I've had my kids' genetic sequences done. And, you know, my kids don't get folic acid because they don't have the right genes for that. And that's just kind of how, how it is. But I know, and most people don't. So the idea is that if you can afford to have an, an iPhone to listen to this, <laughs> you can afford to be in a car to listen to this, you're talking about 100 bucks to know if you really want to know. Or you could just say, I'm going to switch to a better form of multivitamins and I'm going to stop eating enriched grain products, which I shouldn't eat anyway. Does that work for you to use a different test? Like what's the, what's the way a listener might go about finding a test? Well, I think your your point of twenty three and me is, is is that's what I recommend okay. if people are not isolating MTHFR. And isolating MTHFR is a starting point. It's where I got started. That's how I got into all this nutrigenomic stuff, you know, basically how nutrition affects your genes. Then that's how I started, but then I was supporting people and some people got worse, some people got better, and it's like, oh well, yeah, there's more than one gene in the human body here. <laughs> and uh, so I discovered that there is all these different interactions. And, uh, you know, Amy Asco definitely pioneered uh, a lot of this. And I've branched way out in terms of looking at other genes and how MTHFR interacts with this and that. And I, I look at a lot at more at mitochondria effects. And, I mean, what else? Might, yeah, mitochondria is, is really is a big one for me. Yeah, me too. It, it's yeah. it's a core of how I perform better. So I, I've upgraded my mitochondria. I've added more mitochondria via everything. If there's a study that says you can grow new mitochondria, yeah, I'll do that. Yep. And holy crap, the difference in my brain, it's unbelievable. Right. And it's mitochondria are so critical and they use folate. I mean, they people don't know this, but we have two types of DNA. We have nuclear DNA that's inside our our cells, but then we have inside of our cells, we have mitochondrial DNA. And these mitochondrial DNA are the little powerhouses which make you run. And it's your engine to your car. And if your mitochondria are tired, it doesn't really matter about your nuclear DNA anymore. Because if your mitochondrial DNA are haggard, then your nuclear DNA are, are in trouble. And actually, it's yeah. vice versa as well. But, you know, the mitochondria is so, so, so important. That's going to be my next conference about talking about mitochondria and the effect of methylation on it Ooh. and cancer as a whole metabolic shift. And I presented at Cancer Treatment Centers of America and I totally, you know, God, what's the word? Overwhelm them, I guess, <laughs> uh, about how cancer comes to fruition in people and how I think we should treat it. And that comes as a mitochondrial dysfunction primarily. That's it, right. There's a great case, shift. a great case for that. Yeah. So and uh, that was my most exciting discovery of how methylation is connected to mitochondrial function and metabolic shifts. I was so excited when I found that. So it, it just kind of trails on. And that's why I make these diagrams and pathways that I do. So they're laminated so doctors can highlight. So if you have an MTHFR defect, it's here. And then they can look at that and they say, okay, if you have a hiccup here, now it's going to affect, if you drink alcohol, this is what's going to happen. And you have a yeast overgrowth, this is going to happen. And now you have, uh, you, we know your B12 levels are low and your B6 levels are low. 
this is going to shut down your glutathione production over here. And, you know, you're stressed out over here because your dopamine levels and your norepinephrine levels are sky high. And we need to lower those and calm them down. You're not sleeping because your serotonin is not converting to melatonin because you're low in B5 and your SAME. And patients get this if they see it. And doctors get it when they see it. And so these pathways and, and writing them all out, are, I think, are really, really important. And I, they will never, never end. They will always evolve. And this is super basic at the moment, but it's going to get more and more complicated. But at the same time, you know, traceable and trackable. So I think, Dave, when you when you ask about genetic testing and what testing they should do, 23andMe, I think, is the best. The problem is, is people can get stuck in the minutiae. Yeah. And I also think people can get stuck in the genetics. And you have to keep in mind that it's the your perception of the environment, which Dr. Bruce Lipton uh, discusses so beautifully. You've got to, if you haven't looked at Bruce Lipton's work, Biology of Belief, you've got to do that. I think he's, he's named called the New Biology. He's actually yeah. someone we quote a lot in the Better Baby book uh, because okay. the idea that, oh, my God, you can control your genes by changing your environment. Like, that's kind of groundbreaking. What changes that's should right. you make? Like, that was the point of the book. Yeah, and so I... I'm all about you know, nutrigenomics and genetic testing, but I am a naturopath. I am a naturopathic physician. I do some woo-woo stuff. You know, I'm, I'm all about Dr. Stephen Sinatra's earthing book. Uh, me too. I, I used to sell earthing stuff on the site. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that it's so human. It's so, I mean, every living being is barefoot except us. I, I'm barefoot right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you got me beat. I'm wearing socks, but uh, you're not on you're not on grass, are you? You don't have grass in your kitchen. No, I, I do have an earthing mat under my desk oh, and, well. and a sleep induction mat. One of mine, the wow. spiky ones for acupressure. But I, I'm kind of a bit of a dark that way. You are the true biohacker. That's amazing. <laughs> well done. But you know, we have to keep in mind if you do the 23andMe testing, and you have the MTHFR defect, and you have COMT, and you have all these other ones, that's important to know. It's really important to know. But don't get stuck on that and don't think that you need to take methylfolate yeah. and 7.5 milligrams of Deplin because some doctors, if you get diagnosed with MTHFR, the first thing they do is they reach for the script and they give you 7.5 or 15 milligrams of Deplin. What is Deplin? Go, I don't even know that stuff. Yeah, Deplin is a pharmaceutical drug made by Merck or it's PAMLAB. Actually, it's PAMLAB in association with Merck, I believe. But it's, it's 7.5 milligrams or 15 milligrams of methylfolate. Now the RDA of folic acid is 400 micrograms. Okay, so we're talking 15 milligrams. And I've had clients in the past that they gave a couple milligrams or even a milligram to their child, broke car windows, broke house windows, beat up other kids. It's, it can cause serious aggression, it can cause uh, uh, palpitations, heart attacks, uh, it's very, very strong. So ease into this stuff. It's very potent, very, very powerful. So if you go to a doctor, they diagnose you, they teach you far, and they, they write a script for depth, well, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, let's maybe try a lower dose first. And if they're not receptive to that, then then I encourage you to just not fill that prescription and work up. You might need the 7.5 milligrams because you have folate receptor antibodies or there's other issues or cell membranes are screwed up because your oils are you're not taking good oils. <laughs> there you go. Bad oils will ruin membranes fast. 
Yeah. So Actually, yeah. I, I was wrong. I, do you know the half-life of oils and cell membranes? That's a great question. I don't. I didn't either. This is part of the research for the Bulletproof Diet book, by the way, bulletproofdietbook.com. Please pre-order if you like this podcast. Help it succeed. Anyway, I, I found this weird piece of research that was, was well done. 600 days is the half-life of fatty acids in your cell membrane, which means if you start eating healthy fats right now, about two years from now, half of your cell membranes will be built out of healthy fats instead of oxidized omega-6 fats. So it's like, it, it takes time to make that change. And you have to be avoiding things which damage the cell membranes at the same time. It, it's, it's something that's just not talked about, but it's fundamental to, to life. And, and it's an old analogy, but you know, the idea of a car, like how do you make your car engine run a little bit faster? Well, the air intake filter, you change that, add a turbo, add a supercharger, increase the octane of your gas, all these little tweaks you can do. Your mitochondria have different pathways and you can do things like increasing ketones, like brain octane oil can help you with that. The Bulletproof Diet can help you with that. And then you do things like what we just discussed, get the right form of folate instead of folic acid and look at how the performance of your actual energy generation changes. And when you get all these little tweaks down or some of them down, you should feel better. And like you were saying for cancer, if your mitochondria work, your chances of getting cancer are lower. So it's, it's profound what's out there, uh, but it seems like we're just uncovering the surface and there's so much more we can do for anti-aging and just for feeling good. Yeah. And it I think too, Dave, I think it's really important for people to know that fatty liver is, is on epidemic proportions right now. And there's a formula. If you Google fatty liver uh, calculations or fatty liver mathematical model, there's a model now that's developed so physicians can diagnose fatty liver. So if you have GGT, GGT should be ordered. So GGT, ALT, AST, these are markers of, of liver inflammation. And if your liver is inflamed, you're, you basically are getting your fatty liver. And should, fatty should we, liver, what's that? I'm oh, sorry, I, I, I thought I heard a pause there. I would say, should we just be calling it fruity liver instead of fatty liver because of the fact that fructose causes fatty liver or is that just me being alarmist? No, no, fructose <laughs> is definitely bad news. Okay. Yeah, fructose is, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking fruity pebbles. Or, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I, I watched a lot of Flintstones when I was a kid, so. I've had many a bowl of fruity pebbles, and they're better than those cocoa pebbles. They just are because of the colors. I I got to give you that. Yeah, but do they have do they have those real blueberries? Uh, not like Batman Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> the what was that? Mike Adams saw that where he he said with real blueberries and they're just corn syrup and FTNC. Oh, that's evil. Number one. Yeah. So anyway, but that comes in and adenosine levels. No lab is really checking adenosine except for one or two. And adenosine is super, super important because if adenosine is elevated, then that triggers hypoxic uh, inducible factor gene, which then shifts your metabolism to lactate. So you're shifting from an aerobic metabolism to lactate metabolism, which is what your cancer wants to run on. I'm actually training myself to have better cytooxygenation. I spend an hour a day right now breathing through a Darth Vader tube that filters oxygen out of the air. I'm going to be writing that up soon, but it's wow, uh, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, you got to you got to monitor all these things if you really want to kick ass. <laughs> like, yeah. These little tricks can somehow do things uh, to the small parts of your body that let your brain, uh, at least in my case, man, it, like it lets me do things I couldn't do before. What's that tube made out of? Though? 
Um, it's actually a high BPA Roundup infused plastic. It's Perfect. Okay. It's good. It's good. So, now, uh, th- there's a question. We're, we're running up on the end of the podcast. Uh, there's a question that I, I've asked every guest on the show. And it's given what you know, not just about uh, your, your school of medicine, but just your entire life's journey, the three most important pieces of learning uh, that, that you've come across, things that people should know who people want to perform better. So if you want to kick more ass at life, do these three things. What are they? Laugh. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. And it made me laugh. So you got two out of three right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, boy, the third one, you, you're limiting me, man. Laugh, breathe. And I would say eat well, I, I think are, 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 would be really important. I mean, of course there's a lot of other ones, but you're limiting me three. So eat, eat well. And, uh, we can talk about chewing, but you know, laughing is super important because if you're if you're stressed out, you're burning through your methylation faster because cortisol stimulates your methylation pathways faster, so you're burning through it quicker. If you're stressed out, you're upregulating a, a pathway called chiurinin, and then that can trigger immune escape. So if you're stressed out, you cannot fight infections in your body. If you're stressed out, you can't secrete enzymes to absorb your food and digest your food and, and get the nutrients that you need. Uh, stressed out, you can't sleep. If you're stressed out, you can't have good relationships. Uh, stressed out, you can't love yourself or enjoy yourself. And you turn to other things which make you enjoy yourself and bear with yourself, such as smoking and drinking and eating a lot of carbs. So I, I think the, I think laughter and, and uh, eating and breathing is super important because oxygen is so, so vital to us. I mean, oxygen is what runs us. And you know, oxygen and water and, and water is super important too. And it, but we can combine that to eating, right? Uh, there you water. go. Good old so, carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, electrons. And uh, electrons. So that's probably a whole nother podcast on, on what electrons do. I, I, I know we're right up on the end of the show, but uh, I, ozone therapy, which is all about electron donation uh, has, uh, has made a huge difference in, in my health and performance. And hmm. I, talk about that it, it's but getting off topic again because we could talk about all sorts of cool stuff probably for two whole days would you tell listeners where they can find more about you your seeking health site uh, how you'd like them to find you okay yeah so seekinghealth.org is seeking health educational institute and that is an area for the general public and health professionals and i have a lot of information there and seekinghealth.org forward slash gift will get you a video on folate metabolism. Now it's nerdy and dorky, but at the same time, it will really educate and open your mind about what folate is. And seekinghealth.com is the where my research goes into formulating specific nutrients and, and uh, products for, say, prenatal care or supporting the mitochondria or what have you. Then, so seekinghealth.com is supplements, seekinghealth.org is education, and I keep them two completely separate entities. I don't mix. When I teach, I teach. When I, when I formulate, I formulate, and I give those products there. And then mthfr.net is a website that's all dedicated to mthfr. And uh, there's a whole bunch of questions there. There's forums and so on, and it's totally free. But I, I think the best way for you to get your feet wet in this is to go to seekinghealth.org forward slash gift and get that free video and uh, give it to your doctor too. 
that doc, your doctors will appreciate it. And uh, it's scientific, it's grounded. All the slides will have research citations as well. So I'm not making stuff up in those videos. You're doing a lot to help people. And as someone who also does the research and then formulates things, it's, it's a sign that you are putting your money where your mouth is when you're willing to go out and, and invest the time and money and, and very substantial amount of money it takes to create a supplement that meets the standards that you've identified. Uh, so when, when people you know, criticize it, well, how can you talk about the science and also make a supplement? Well, how can you know the science and not make a supplement if there isn't something on the market that does that? I, I don't know how to live yeah. in a world like that. <laughs> you have to. You have to because yeah. you're doing a big disservice to the public if you find this great information and the market doesn't have it. You're doing a major disservice to the population if you have that, if you have that information and you're not making something out of it. I mean, information is, is to empower you to do something with it. Other than complain? <laughs> Other than complain. That's right. Well, on that note, uh, I, I will make sure after this to introduce you to uh, my wife, Dr. Lana, because she's doing fertility consulting around the planet for women, specifically women who are having problems, like you mentioned earlier, they're having a hard time getting pregnant, repeated miscarriages, using a lot of these tool sets. But I, I didn't realize that you had some of the very specific supplements you had. So I'm going to make a, a connection after this uh, so people can check that out. And actually, so you can check that out and she can check out your work. And there, there may be some interesting uh, connections there. Also, your next conference, whenever it is, uh, please let me know about it so I can put it on Facebook and people who hear this and are interested in it can have the opportunity to go. And I'd really appreciate the opportunity to check that out. I, I want to dig more in on this. Perfect. I'll get you a, a backstage pass for free. Awesome. Uh, likewise, if you are going to come to the Bulletproof Conference in LA September 26th or 28th, let me know. We'll hook you up. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Ben. One of the things you can do to make your brain work really, really well is you can remove toxins from your body. One of the most important antioxidants and toxin-binding substances in the body is called glutathione. That's why I created Upgraded Glutathione Force. Check it out. Upgraded Glutathione Force on UpgradedSelf.com. A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.